This is the I Went Down to the River podcast. I'm Dan Walton, and I will sit down with fellow alums and talk about what it meant to be a part of the Hawken football program and wear the wings. We share stories of friendship, memorable games, funny moments, and how football made us who we are. You don't need to be on a bus for these tangs. Now let's go down to the river. Today's guest was a part of two playoff campaigns for the Hawks during his high school football career. He was a starter by way of playing offensive guard and defensive end. I'm looking forward to the opportunity to take this trip down to the river with class of 2002, Paul Franklin. Paul, thanks for joining me, and I look forward to hearing your story. What's up, Paul? How are you? Happy to be here, Dan. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, I am, uh, I am looking forward to chatting with you. Um, Paul, you, for the listener, you were a senior, my first year at Hawken teaching at the uh, Lynnhurst campus. And so, uh, sort of relationship got to uh, coach and be around the varsity program your senior year. And then in the spring, you made that connection with me. Can I do my senior project with you? <laughs> <laughs> You were a ba- you were a baseball player, and so you needed to yep. be near the building. You needed to be able to get to practices, and so you reached out and you said, "Hey, is there any way that I can be a part of that Lynnhurst K through eight physical education program?" I said, "Let's go. Let's see what we can do for you." That's funny. No, I mean, I think I I think what I said when I was researching my intern uh, or not internship senior project was I, I wanted to learn more about teaching and coaching. So. Um, you know, as you know, it's been a big impact on me and, and I've continued to do it in my professional life, uh, as a, as a passion side hustle. And, um, and so I really didn't have any, I really didn't have any desire to do anything else except just figure out how I could teach and coach. So it was awesome. Paul, we like to start these, uh, podcast sit downs by asking, what is your first memory of Hawking football? My first memory of Hawking football is sitting in the stands with my sister, who is class of 93, uh, Carrie Franklin, now Cordero, and and just seeing guys that looked like they were 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", just barreling over. I specifically remember Anthony Calcet just literally running through people like a truck. And I was, I was hooked my eyes were, were, were bright eyed and I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. And it was just so fun, um, to be a part of it, you know, um, having a sister nine years older than me, um, you know, she kind of took me everywhere she went. And so, you know, she played field hockey at Hawken and ran track. And I literally, I was at like 80% of the practices, um, just running around being an idiot and just hanging out, um, with the coaches. So like, I remember, um, uh, Miss Escar's daughter, daughter-in-law, coach, coach Robbins, maybe Marla, yep. Marla. Yep. Yeah. I remember her. Uh, I remember coach Becky Jones. Um, those, those like, you do not forget about those people. Those are, those are legendary coaches and teachers and, and people around Hawking. And so, um, and then I remember, uh, uh, track coach McGill and, um, just, it was fun. It was fun to be around that. And then we went, you know, so I just, we were always around sports. We were always around Hawkins sports. So, you know, I learned Hawkins sports through, you know, um, through my sister, through, through a, you know, a, a very, uh, 
Um, she was a high performing athlete, probably a better athlete than I was. And, uh, she was great. So she introduced me to it. And then, you know, she was, she was part of that crew and her, her best friends were Bobby Mallet and James Isanic and, uh, Bill Mann and, uh, you know, all that whole crew, um, Scott Burns, uh, probably blanking on a few guys. Um, but, uh, so I grew up around all those guys and it was just, that was my first memory. So your first story, your first memory of being around Hawking football is so similar to so many others that I've spoken with in that as this young, uh, as this young kid around the program or around the game, just having these big eyes and this admiration for these players that seemed, um, larger than life. And it's probably not until you actually start to follow into those specific steps and become a middle school player and then sort of matriculate up to the high school and be a part of the varsity program that you realize size wasn't as skewed as maybe you initially thought. And you realized it's about that hard work and that dedication and that team atmosphere that you were starting to become a part of that put you in the exact same shoes that they were in years before. So what did it mean for you to be able to see it from an early um, stage and then be able to live it and wear the wings? Yeah. So um, it, it was cool. I mean, I, I started out playing football in third grade. I played for orange um, and my mom dropped me off and with a water bottle and I just started running around. Um, you know, and I wasn't particularly fast. I mean, I always, I always thought I was a good child athlete. Like I had a good arm and stuff, but I just didn't really know my place. And so I just figured out, I'll just play wherever I want. And, um, so they threw you around at all these different positions. And I remember, you know, showing up at some guy's garage to get pads, you know, in the <laughs> middle of orange or pepper pike, you know, the garage door flies open and they just start throwing pads on you. And, 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 you know, they taught tackling very different back then. Um, and you know, there was no such thing as a concussion. It was called a stinger. Um, and so it, it was, it was, it was fun. And I remember, um, uh, I remember being so, you know, intimidated by playing like Chardon and mentor and just these, what I thought were behemoth. And, um, remember one game we played Hudson and I broke my arm playing safety and I played the whole game of the broken arm. I remember my dad took me to the hospital and it got reset and stuff, but just like, you know, little things like that were my first memories. And then, um, by the time middle school football came around, um, you know, I think at that, I think seventh grade year, it was run by Larry Hauserman, um, who, you know, you, you feared <laughs> in a respectful manner. Um, he was, he was a very, very old school guy. Uh, Larry Hauserman, class, class of 75, by the way. And inductee yeah. to the uh, Sports Hall of Fame. Yeah, so Coach Hauserman was seventh grade coach. And uh, I, I remember those bike shorts and those calf high socks just uh, it demanded your attention when he spoke. Um, and so that was my, my first entree. I remember he invited the middle schoolers up to high school in the summer to watch the high schoolers practice. And we practiced alongside them or on another field near them. Um, and you could just tell being around it. Um, you could just tell being around it. It was, it was serious and people, people cared and, um, and it was just, it just had a certain aura about it. Um, 
And then uh, eighth grade, I think Coach Brandt came in. He was still around, but Coach Brandt came in, I think it might have taken it over in eighth grade. And uh, we had Coach Merle Davis who helped out. We had uh, Coach Ken Clark, who ended up being my baseball coach. We had Coach uh, Bob Rodriguez, I think. I can't re- remember who else was there. But, yeah, we had a bunch of bunch of great coaches. It was a lot of fun. Um, and I don't even remember how good we were in seventh or eighth grade. I actually don't remember at all. Um, but I remember we had so many kids playing that ended up either leaving or not playing in high school. And, uh, and so I got to play a little bunch of kids that, uh, we still, I still keep in touch with now, but never made it through Hawking as high schoolers and then, or never played in high school. It just kind of stopped in middle school. So as a middle school player and, uh, a lot of players coming in, coming out that maybe didn't, uh, make their way up to the varsity program with you. What are your thoughts on just, uh, sort of the middle school approach while you were there where it was, sport athletic requirement for students and uh, sort of encouraging students to try sports that maybe they were otherwise not inclined to join in on? Yeah, I mean, from a football standpoint, I feel like everybody that was out there wanted to be out there. Um, I don't, you know, I think kind of later learning on, um, you know, I'm sure parents were apprehensive about it, but it, it was everybody was there and wanted to be there and they took it serious. I know that when I was in seventh grade, I remember the eighth grade team was very serious and took, and took it very serious. And so that made us as seventh graders take it very serious. It's funny how that happens when you see a grade older than you, uh, take it very serious. Uh, or if you're a freshman and you see seniors take it very serious then ultimately you know, I know as a coach, like when I see that, I know that that team, when they're upperclassmen, they're probably going to have their, their crap together. Um, alternatively, when you see a bunch of goofballs who don't take it very seriously, um, you, you know that it's a bad example for the younger guys. And so now as a coach, when I see that, I get, I get worried and I try to figure out, all right, how can we squeeze out and find the best leader to show these kids how it's done? And I, I uh, as a coach, kind of not to digress from the Hawkins stuff, but um, as a coach, I always try to study like the culture of each grade and figure out like what they're about. And it's just so fun to see how they act. Like you have, I remember in 2016 um, at Murray, we, we won everything. And it was a team of guys that like didn't talk. Like they didn't scream. They didn't rah-rah. They just showed up and they just played. And like, there was no hooting and hollering and it was just all business, you know? So it's just kind of cool to see that, but, um, going through Hawking, there were many different teams I was a part of. And so I had an experience to see different senior leadership styles and different, different leadership styles, the way and different coaching, you know, different coaching uh, styles as well, right. Different head coaches in seventh and eighth grade and then different assistants that rolled through in high school. So I got to, really experience, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, uh, it was able to kind of formulate the the type of coach that I'm, I'm today. So you talk about the way that classes are put together and how, uh, how that identity is, uh, very unique year to year. Um, you were a member of what I would call a tight knit senior class of 11, a group that liked to compete and, uh, really got along well with each other. Um, 
talk about the way that your classmates and then your teammates formed relationships and sort of created that bond of being on a team while you're at the high school. Yeah. So, and I'm not sure if you even know this, but I came late to the party. I played golf freshman year. So for I don't know what it was. <clears throat> I think I just was playing a bunch of golf my eighth grade summer. And I just said, I'm going to be a golfer. And I, and same with my, one of my best friends, Jeff Beck, he was a golfer as well. And so we just played golf and it was, it was fine. Um, but I remember coach Doug Smith calling me in the summer before the golf tryouts and encouraging me to play football. And now looking back on it, 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 you don't see that a lot. You don't see coaches help each other out. You, you more so see coaches compete for players. And so I could tell just how much respect coach, coach Doug had for coach Walton and the football program to encourage getting more bodies out. Right. Cause at a small prep school, it's all about bodies, right? Let the coaches coach them up, but we just need bodies. We just need kids to, to develop. So I did not play golf. I did not play football freshman year. <clears throat> I remember my, one of my best friends and now brother-in-law RG Hawa uh, encouraged me to play and said I should come out. And I did, I did not listen to him. His mom encouraged me to play. I did not listen to her. Um, and then finally, yeah, it's having one of those uh, classic teenage um, discussions with your elders <laughs> sometimes get a little bit heated. And, uh, and my mom, uh, my mom came from a, a, a football background. Her father played couch football at Xavier. He played football at Notre Dame, which is now at NDCL. And she was very, very passionate about me playing um, and was upset that I was not playing uh, freshman year. So um, for a myriad of reasons, it's, it's interesting because I had your dad, Coach, Coach Cliff Walton, as a PE teacher freshman year. And again, a lot of coaches, if they see a kid that they think should be playing for them, that aren't playing for them, when they see them, they can often not be nice to them and they can often make them feel bad. And again, that's just not, that's just not who your dad was. Uh, it's not how he rolled. In fact, he took the time to teach me how to lift weights during my free period. So every single free period I had. Uh, freshman year, I was lifting, uh, you know, in khakis and a button down, but I was lifting. And so that's where he and I started our relationship was in the weight room. Um, and then, you know, he's just always supportive. Um, I remember freshman year, you know, having, uh, having trouble getting up to speed academically, he stepped up, he supported me. Um, so, you know, I have a lot to, that was kind of where it started for me. Uh, and then I went out sophomore year and, uh, and the rest is history. So I came into that to get back to your question, which was a group of 11. I came into that group of 11, uh, late. Um, so I was late to the party, which with the way we were stacked in that program at that time, when you're late to the party by a year, you're late to the party. So, you know, as a sophomore, I should have been you know, playing special teams. But as a sophomore, I was learning the program and learning the system. And then um, junior year, um, I, uh, I was starting on JV and even playing with some sophomores and then playing special teams and then getting occasional looks on defense junior year to give guys uh, the rest of varsity. Um, and then by the time senior year came, that's when I started. And I remember like 
now as a coach, like we recruit and find kids that come in and, and play the first year. Like that's, that's where we get our kids is, you know, you're going to be able to play multiple sports and start as a freshman, but at Hawken, and I'm sure now it's a little bit different, but at Hawken, we had such a deep bench and such a deep roster of quality players that unless you were just an absolute stud, you know, you didn't see the fields for at least late junior, if not senior year. Um, but that also, you know, you have a really good program when you, when you're, when you're waiting to start until your senior year, because that just means you're that good. So the, uh, the relationships of that 11, in my opinion, some of us were playing varsity. Most of us were playing JV started every single Monday when we would travel to play JV games or on Saturday mornings when we would play JV games. I think we won the conference, uh, junior year for JV, but for us, that was like the Super Bowl. Like that was the most important thing for us was we got to win the conference. I'm like, nobody cares, right? It's JV. Varsity probably didn't care. But for, for us, you better believe, like, it was important. And we created, you know, that huddle all of junior year, then went in to be the huddle senior year. So when we rolled in senior year, it was just, it was just like take two. It was just repeat time. You know, we just added a few. And then some younger guys who were really good players joined us and rotated in. Um, but, like, it wasn't just a bunch of seniors getting together for the first time. We were a, a pretty cohesive unit. And then from there, senior year, we just had our expectations were through the roof. You know, our expectations were to go undefeated and go to the playoffs and go as far as we could. And we honestly, I know we lost to Chanel both years, but we honestly didn't even, I don't even think I knew who Chanel was. I didn't think anybody could stop us. Um, we, were, we were that confident. Uh, we weren't cocky. We were just confident. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, how our unit developed as far as personal relationships, we were, we all had each other's backs. I wouldn't say that we were hanging out at each other's houses on the weekends. All 11 of us were very different 11. Um, but as we passed each other in the hallways, as, and of course, as we saw each other on the practice field and we, we were together in the locker room for those experiences, we were, in my opinion, personally, we were a group of 11 that you, you would have to take us, you'd have to take us all on. Um, and, you know, we would do dinners as a group uh, the night before every game at Tim Austin's parents' house in Chesterland. Uh, we'd obviously do the team breakfasts, which all teams did, but we were, we were pretty tight. And then we brought in like Matt Korn, who was obviously a legendary running back. Um, we brought him in as a junior and kind of brought him into our fold and kind of invited him to things and, and made him, you know, sort of a, an honorary senior, if you will. Um, but, you know, another way I think we were together is like, um, I could see the juniors below us. I could not, not at the time, but like as a, as an alum in college, I could see how much that I think they looked up to us. I think they really saw us as a, as a, as a model senior class and as a model team. And so I think they wanted to emulate that. And, and I remember coming back from college to that U S game that I know they should have won and they barely lost it. Um, and, uh, you know, so it was, that's a little bit just kind of about who we were. Um, I'll just tell you one story that was, um, there were a ton of stories I can tell you whatever, but the coolest one was the night before our last game, our last home game, uh, of the season was against Newberry, who we knew we were going to, we were going to kill. Um, and the, the night before they, everybody slept over at my house cause I had team breakfast the next day and we had not yet determined if we were going to make the playoffs. 
And so in order to make the playoffs, Black River had to lose. And one other team that I'm blanking on had to lose. And then we had to win. And then I think Gilmore had to lose or something to that effect. So we're killing Newberry. Black River and the other school lose on Friday night. And we're calling the plane dealer like at 11 o'clock on Friday night. And we're like cheering in my house that they both lost. And then on Saturday, we're winning. And then RG comes out to the huddle in the fourth quarter and says that Gilmore won or whoever we needed to win or lose happened. And so we're like so excited that we almost get a delay a game. So Black River lost 24 to 7 that week 10 and Wyndham loses 34-0 to Ravenna Southeast. <laughs> yeah. Like your your classic Ohio, you know, playoff drama. So um that's how we made the playoffs, you know, just barely. That's fantastic. The number 8 seed. Yeah, I want to go back a and, couple of minutes. No, go ahead. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, we wouldn't have had that much drama had we just taken care of business uh, against Orange. Yeah. Uh, nobody, th- nobody thought we'd beat Wycliffe. Um, and uh, we had, that was 50 to 43 triple overtime. Um, I played uh, the worst uh, first half in, in uh, defensive history. Um, and it's funny now as a mid thirties coach <laughs> trying to tell kids to do what I was doing wrong and actually understanding it. Right. It's, it's also like my, my knowledge of the game and my knowledge of film was so raw back then that as a player, and again, maybe it could have been, it could have been taught better, but I, I just, I just mentally didn't understand some of the concepts and some of the things as a player to execute them. And now it's just, I think that's what makes me, in my opinion, such a good coach. I, why I'm a way better coach than a player is because I can, I can teach things that I know I couldn't do or see so much better to kids. And I can see kids that are average players that can become above average players by just understanding, you know, a tendency or seeing something and so I think that was my biggest motivation as a coach is like, you know, I wasn't able to hit some of the achievements as a player that I wish I could have, um, whether it was just from natural talent or just an understanding of the game. But now as a coach, I can go back and fix all those things and make those kids better um, and give them, you know, the confidence that they need. So uh, so we lost to Wycliffe triple overtime and then we lost to Orange 31 to 28. And that was a game that they actually had their best running back out. And we just, that was a classic. Um, we came off, first of all, 9-11 happened, okay, the week of Wycliffe. So we were short a day uh, of practice, a very emotional week. Uh, again, I don't think we uh, understood the brevity of it, but again, a very emotional week. Everybody understands where they were at that time. Then we lose triple overtime. We can barely walk off the field because we're all cramping. Uh, and then next week we play Orange, who we thought we were going to kill, and we lost 31-28. So had we at least beat Orange, we probably would have had a higher seed in the playoffs. Um, you know, so it it shouldn't have been as dramatic, but hey, that's what that's what makes it so fun. For sure, week week. yeah, for sure. We will get into uh, a couple more memories and recollections of the uh, junior and senior campaign here in a minute. Um, I want to just uh, come back to something that you said, Paul, about how 
maybe some misunderstanding or some confusion or not just totally understanding something has molded you into the type of coach and teacher of young men that you feel like you are. And I think that is so, that is such a important thing for people to hear. I hope that we're just listening is, um, it's not just learning from all of the positives. It's not just learning from all the negatives. It's about how you get that communication piece. And sometimes it's someone communicates something perfectly on your level and you want to repeat that to someone else. And then there's times where they communicate it to what they think is perfectly clear to you. But as the recipient, you don't hear it that way or you don't get it that way. And in return, you take it and say, this is how it would have been clearest to me. And now that's the way that I'm going to moving forward, teach it to others. And I like that because I find that as well with myself. 100%. 100%. I think also as a coach, um, you know, I started coaching my first summer out of college. Well, I started coaching at Hawk and I used to come back in the summers and help out. But I started formally coaching, getting paid for it uh, the summer I graduated. I was enrolled in um, uh, George Mason School of Public Policy to get a master's degree because I thought I was going to go into the political world and work on Capitol Hill. And, um, and I was coaching on the side because I knew that's what I loved to do. So I figured, hey, just do something you love and, and I'll just figure it out. And I think that's been a pretty good theme for me is I've kind of just always figured it out and I've landed into a, into a business that has become, you know, it's been great. And, but I've, I haven't given up coaching. I mean, I'm entering my 15th year coaching football. And, uh, I remember when I was like my second year coaching and third year. And I remember thinking, Oh, one day I'm going to be one of those guys that says to his players, I've been coaching for 20 years, you know, and I'm almost there. I've been coaching for 15 years. Um, and you know, my maturation as a coach and my, uh, my, obviously my, my knowledge has gotten better and my knowledge has gotten more and my, uh, expertise, but my maturation in terms of the way I am on the field is, is significantly different. I mean, as a 22 year old, I was a screamer and I was a hoot and holler and I was running around and just, I figured that's how you coach. Right. And, um, now I think it's just being a dad, right. And just having kids and just running a business and just becoming more seasoned and patient. And I'm just a way different coach now. I'm still passionate. I mean, I get, I get, I get so into it and I, I prepare to coach games like I used to prepare to play games. And I think one of the things that you can't always do as an assistant that I'll do one day as a head coach, because I do plan to be a head coach at some point in my life um, is, is the way that a kid or a player approaches a game to me is, is the most important thing. Um, the way that he approaches pregame, the way that he approaches practice, the way that he shows up the day of the game, the way that he warms up, um, the way that he acts, that to me is, is everything. I can look at a team by the way they warm up and by the way they act and tell if they're going to win or lose. In fact, I can think of games that I've coached in the last couple of years where I felt so terrible during pregame practice because I knew we were going to lose the game and it sucked because I was an assistant and I couldn't just take the team by the reins and just figure it out. Cause I knew, I know how to figure it out because I was taught 
how to do it, you know, by the best, in my opinion. So. I like that you uh, took a moment and told us about how you've changed um, as a coach since uh, that 22 year old hair on fire, probably rolling up to rolling up to the game, listening to like some version of your uh, pregame tape and uh, (laughs) just going about all of the motions and sort of superstitions that maybe even you, you did as a senior in high school, because it's so fresh. It was so meaningful that you're trying to just, just pull at it a little bit so that you're a part of it more than just the coaching piece to where a couple of years removed and you've been doing it for half a dozen or a dozen years. And now all of a sudden still extremely passionate still stings to see your kids fail but sort of the visual product of it might look a little bit different to the people that are watching you do it so well also i think that i think that kids are and i'm not a kid but i think that kids are very different and i think that they have exposure to so much more of blunt society, especially today, that they're exposed to just such um, opinionated things and they just see such raw footage and they see stuff that as a 18 year old, I didn't see um, that they don't need another screamer. They don't, they don't need another asshole. They need somebody to go up to them, grab their shoulder pad and teach them in a very calm voice. Here's what you did wrong. Here's how you fix it. And, you know, during the games, we'll get excited. We'll get jacked up when we're running into, like I I'm the run game coordinator for the team. I coach. So like for me, like group interior run is like, is was like Mecca. It's like the most unbelievable thing. It's like Super Bowl. And so like they look over and they're like, Oh God, coach Franklin is going to lose his mind. If the guard is not downhill on his pole. Like, <laughs> like, and we, it's a joke. Like every, every year we put in the first install is trap and it's, that's just it. Now we run different versions of trap. You know, we don't run trap that we ran in the wing T, but like, they just know it's just like the bread and butter, you know? And, um, you know, and I also coach a different position. I played line, but I coach running backs. Um, and it's uh, it's fun to, it's fun to coach skill. <laughs> it's a little bit easier to coach skill. You don't have to take a hundred and sixty pound kid that's never played before. Um, <laughs> you usually take kids that are the fastest and just teach teach them to hold onto the ball and read the hole and stuff like that. Um, but you know, I still get in the trenches and help out with the line and 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 that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, I've just changed as a coach, and, and I'm also for me, just given the type of school that I coach at somewhere to Hawkett and the type of community that I'm involved in, I'm really big on making sure that these kids um, are getting exposure to internships and jobs after school. So like a lot of these guys, you know, a lot of these players, uh, they stay in touch with me, you know, just like you, I stayed in touch with you and and they become buddies and, and and I get to know them, you know, um, professionally. And I get to know them as, as people versus just, they were my players. You know, I think it's always cool when one of your players starts to call you by your first name versus just coach. But even some of my players who are I'm closest with, they still call me coach. And so, you know, it's just, it's just, um, it's just a cool, cool relationship experience. I can relate to all of that, Paul. You said it perfectly. Well done. Um, Let's go ahead and move on here. Tell us what your favorite tradition was. 
I don't know if I have one. Um, I don't know if I have one. I would say, honestly, I don't even know if you call it a tradition, but I just, I'll give you that. But I also want to mention like my favorite experience. Um, favorite tradition is probably, you know, orangutans or fudge. Um, uh, but my favorite experience is, <clears throat> was being in the field house, uh, the, the night or afternoon before a game, like hands, hands, hands down. We had, we sat in the same spot in the field house. I sat front row against the wall, straddled the bench, like every single time. Um, and there's just so much, there's just so much memories in that field house. I remember, I remember <laughs> looking in that field house after a summer two a day uh peeking at the board to see if i was on the depth chart and i remember one day seeing my name number one on the depth chart and just so excited um i remember being in there as a young kid um you know seeing 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 upperclassmen that i that i didn't love their leadership and then i remember seeing upperclassmen that i absolutely worshiped um I remember being a senior, looking at my fellow seniors as captains. I was not a captain and, and literally respecting everything they said. And I almost looked at them like I was a freshman. I knew I wasn't, but I treated them with that respect. Um, and you, you never, whoever was the captains, you never argued that and you never had uh, remorse. It was, it was, you just knew whoever were the captains of the team earned it and they, they demanded that respect. Um, but even if you weren't a captain, you could still be a leader. And so I tried to lead in my own way. Um, and, uh, so my favorite experience was being in that field house, obviously your dad, um, you know, it wasn't a joke, but the, 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 the prediction was, is coach going to give us the pump up speech the night before or right before and you could tell like you could tell like the day before if he just gave you your checks and balances you know check your screws check your check your hips check your tail you know check your tape you knew he was going to ramp it up the next day before the game but i'll never forget um i i can't remember which game or which week but he he gave us a hell of a pregame speech the night before the game in the field house during pregame practice. And he like bashed the door open on his, on his way out. <laughs> and then he came back in and one more thing. <laughs> and like, we laughed about it. We're like, we we're like laughing about coach stuff, but like it was, he was so jacked up. And I, I remember it was, it was a Winston Churchill speech about never give up. And he just came in and he just did it again. It was just awesome. So which speech you got was probably a direct reflection on how the week went. So if you got it that Friday afternoon, it wasn't the best week or it wasn't the best finish to the week because you needed as a team to be recalibrated with your thoughts going into that Friday evening so that when you came up Saturday morning back to school, you were in the right mind frame. If you got the triple check your... uh <laughs> getting dressed before you go to bed, have dreams of plays. And that last dream before you nod off is you having success on a play. You probably had a decent week. It went, it went pretty well. 
Um, so that's, that's good. I'm gonna I'm gonna take that into account. I, I didn't realize it was um, methodical. I mean, I I knew it was. I just didn't know the reasons. But yeah, right. it makes a lot of sense. Right. So for the listener, you know, you were still a part of the Saturday afternoon home games. We did not have the lights yet. Um, Friday mm-hmm. afternoon was our walkthrough, and usually walkthrough ended. Um, and there there were always little differences based on if you yeah and it, it it depended on if you were coming off of a win or a loss if you were coming off of a win you would do play of the week where the the seconds would run their version of the play of the week that was usually rough to watch and then the varsity would do theirs we'd go to the field house we'd sit down like paul was talking about we'd hand out zonks and then uh my dad would go through sort of the checklist of things heading into the next afternoon's game. Uh, if you were if you were coming off of a loss, you would not have that zonk piece to it. But I can I can remember the special moments in that field house, whether it's the night before the game or the afternoon of the game, because it was always quiet when everyone was in there. When the players were in there and the coaching staff was in there, there was just a, a quiet and it was I'm ready. I'm ready to hear whoever's speaking, whether it was a player's moment, one of the assistants moments or my dad's. And sometimes you'd hear a little bit of that clacking of those removable cleats on the uh, floor of the field house for someone who was a little bit nervous. But uh, those were special moments in that field house. And that's why that field house is so special. Yeah, I would say to to follow up on that field house to kind of stay within that theme. Um, you know, one of the things that as a coach in the DC area that I never understood was nobody ever used locker rooms. I mean, you used them, but you would you'd warm up and then you would go to the sideline and then you would do the coin toss and then you would all then the captains would come back and you do some kind of rah rah thing on your sideline and then you go play. But what I had remembered was we went out in waves we warmed up and then we came back in and then the captains went out for the coin toss and the, the time when you would walk off the field and you'd hear that clicking and clacking in the field house. And then the time that you would just, it was just pure silence before you heard the captains coming in saying, if it was kickoff, kickoff return, like for me, that two to four minutes, like that was the magic. Like that to me, was you you know christy was outside pacing back and forth you you were you were just chilling waiting for you you know like your pops or something moses was smashing some orange slices <laughs> grease, grease was grabbing the pump <laughs> making sure his shorts were on um you know talk was talk was you know doing whatever talk was doing um i think i've covered you know deej was making sure the balls were pumped up ready to go um, you know, everybody, every, everybody had their role and everybody had, you know, their seat. And so for me, you know, that little moment of silence, um, was pretty cool. And, and, you know, speaking of like all those traditions, like, you know, I am not bashful. Like I tried to bring a lot of traditions that we did at Hawken to all the programs. And some of them have stuck like defensive points. We do defensive points, um, you know, doing things in waves when you do pregame, um, you know, uh, just, just a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but yeah, I would say that, um, the, the traditions that our program are, are just, 
unrivaled. I just, I just don't know of anybody else that does so many. And, and, and again, I, I hope they're still around. I'd love to hear from you if they are, or if things have changed and if maybe there's new ones that we didn't do, but in any event, Paul, I say university school, you say now or back then. Cause I think as a, as a, as a mature, you know, it would have to be back then because I know you have a maturity about you that has changed quite a bit of your initial thought, which is why your your response to that statement was very tempered. Uh, if it was yeah, asked, if yeah. it was asked to you and say, oh, one to oh, four. Team up north. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't even got I don't even think we ever really referred to them, period, though. Like, that's why it took me a while to even think of that. I just don't think we ever talked. I mean, maybe the preppers. That's all we said. But um yeah i mean as a as a as a middle school kid it was implanted in your brain that you just had a had a utter disdain for them um that they always thought they were better than you um they just they were they were purple um they wore a lot of cowboy collars and uh they taped a lot they taped a lot of shoes and they, they tried to look pretty um and i just remember them um always having that, you know, um, stigma, I guess. And I had an experience as a, as a middle schooler, we played our middle school game at us on their, on their field when it was grass. And, um, I don't remember how it turned out, but I, I hung around after the game or I went home, got changed, came back and watched the high school game. Uh, and I remember, I don't know why, but I remember just running around the track and I remember being at our stands. Then I remember somebody taking me over to us's stands to just, just whatever. Cause kids were kids. And uh, I just remember it was just raucous. Like it was just aggressive and raucous and crazy. And so, um, you know, getting back into the swing in high school, 10th grade year, we, we lost. Um, and that just, that just wasn't really like the program was not at its best. Um, that year. And then 11th grade, it was like, it was like, it was on. And, and we, I think we, I think we beat them pretty good. And then senior year, I think it was a very competitive game. I mean, you could probably have a way different perspective than I do as a coach. I think that we never thought we were going to lose the game at all. Um, but it was a competitive game and it got, it got chippy at the end. There was some, there was some John back and forth and some cheap shots in the fumble piles. Um, and I remember, I remember it was a pretty cool uh, atmosphere. I remember we had the, the field painted, which was unusual to have our field painted. I remember there was an alumni game, flag game before that morning. Um, you could feel that day was starting at the breakfast at Hollis House. Like you could feel just the weather was perfect. You could just feel like it was that day. Um, and I remember standing outside the field house and they arrived us arrived and they just got off the bus completely suited up helmets on and i was like okay i was like they're ready to go i was like they're ready to go and i remember i didn't know who their coach was at the time but i remember when i began coaching i started to gain a little bit of respect for their coach he seemed like he had been there for a while and he seemed like he really respected coach walton and really respected you know what we did um, and I, and I feel like he kind of had that same sort of long-term sustainability there as, um, not as much as coach Walton, but, but, but to that effect, he, it was in a meaningful game for them. And, um, and we beat them and, uh, it was a lot of fun. And I remember that one of their banners, they left on the field and we had that banner and we took a picture of their banner uh, in front of the scoreboard. 
And I remember we wanted to send it. We didn't do it, but we wanted to take that picture and put it in a holiday card and mail it to the head coach of us and say, happy holidays, Merry Christmas. Um, we'll never, you know, we'll never forget that. So. Did not know that. <laughs> good choice yeah. not to. Probably, probably good choice have been not a good to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably wouldn't have been a good look. A courtesy um, of you guys, someone would have had to uh, issued an apology. <laughs> I will tell you a funny story, though. The night, this is actually a cool story, and I don't think I've told this to a lot of people. Um, the night before US, we stayed at Howa's house because he was having breakfast. Um, and we went up to Howa lived by the high school. So we went up to the high school, we went up to Hawkins. And we were going up there to protect our field because we knew there were rumors of U.S. was going to do pranks. Um, and so we just went up there and we took a football and we actually, it was like me, Matt Korn, Sam McCreary, I think Andrew Gray and RG. It might have been like Jeff. And I think that was it. And we just ran around and threw passes and it was just it was just totally dead silent, but you could see everything because the moon was out. Um, and then all of a sudden, a cop comes flying down the gravel road with his with his halogen light. <laughs> and then I think like I think like the old head was also en route, and it was just like converging on who they thought were U.S. kids, and it was just us. And then we're like, no, 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 we're just we're just trying to make sure nothing goes down. And like, there was actually, it's just funny. There was like no issues. They just were like, all right, go home. And and that was it. So um, that was pretty funny. I like that. Protect the field, man. Protect the field. So we'll do, a, we'll do a, excuse me. We'll do a quick junior season review. We won't go week by week, but just maybe a, a couple of things maybe that stick out from it, but that was a 10 and two campaign. Um, Sort of things that stick out to me are obviously the week two game um, against university school, um, probably the week six game against Cardinal, and then week 11, which would be the first uh, home playoff game because that was the first year that they, oh, allow, they, yeah. allow, they allowed for host sites and it wasn't all neutral. Mm. So um, impressions on that junior year that stick out to you? What, what games, yeah, what so, moments? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so junior year, you know, again, I was special teams and played a little bit of defense, but I was mostly uh, mostly JV. Um, so I would say, you know, junior year for me, that Columbiana Crestview playoff game was pretty awesome. Um, and again, we came in very confident um, and we showed up. It was in the 30s. It was snowing. And this team, who we had no clue who they were, rolled in uh, with <laughs> their rebel flags and uh, their tailgates. Um, and, you know, just a different slice of pie was rolling into Gates Mills. And um, I remember warming up and I remember hearing them laugh at us. And for whatever reason, I think they were mostly laughing because they thought they were going to beat us. But I just remember them laughing at us. Uh, and then all I remember is, you know, I think I don't remember the score, but I remember we beat them pretty good. And we might have we might not killed them by a lot of points, but we definitely beat them handily and controlled the game. Yeah. So week week 10, we have that home game against Newberry. And so 
that was right around when Joe Itell and some of these services online where you had a better idea of the forecasting for the postseason with computer points. And so we were looking at who could we possibly have as an opponent? And we thought the odds were kind of um, pushing towards Columbia and a Crestview. And there was another team who I'm blanking at the moment that was a possibility as well. So two assistants went to go see that team. And then Gary Moses, my dad, and I went down to watch Columbiana Crestview. And so we show up and the place is packed. It's one of those schools where just the whole town shuts down and comes to the game. Um, and so we're watching them and sort of as things unfold over the next 24 hours, that's who we're finding out we're going to be matched up with. So good team, physical team, run a little bit of uh, a little bit of wing T concept. And so they come in and I remember that just caravan of vehicles coming down um, the athletic road and parking out by the baseball field. A lot of pickup trucks with flags and train whistles on the back that would make you go deaf if you're within like 20 feet of it when the thing goes off and they packed it and we put i remember uh the athletic department put a bunch of temporary bleachers all around because they knew that the the construct of our visitor side was not going to be enough so they put probably half a dozen or more of these temporary bleachers out and they were all full and it was uh it was a competitive game. We we ran for 375 on the ground. Uh, we were up at one point 21 on them, and they got a late one on us, and it ended up being a 28 to 14 finish. But that home that was that was new for everyone. That hosting a playoff game was so unique, and for us to be able to do it in the first year that it was an option was really cool. And I think. Uh, it was a little bit of a uh, advantage to be able to have schools come to us without lights and play in a afternoon format that we were used to and was mm -hmm. uh, something that another school had to adjust to. Yeah. So big game, big win. And then uh, the following week was against a Chanel team that. Yeah. At Chardon. Yeah. Out at Chardon that did uh I, I think the best way to sort of describe how talented that chanel program was <laughs> is here we are an offense that was like over four thousand yards on the ground or whatever and they they shut us down we were not able to move the ball and run on them our offensive line was a strength our running backs were were supremely talented we had many options to hand the ball to and they shut us down and they beat us 21-0 which is crazy because that's not a that's not a huge you know differential at the end of the day, right? That's like all right, you scored a touchdown, you're back in it. You know what I mean? And it's right. Yeah, it's just um, yeah, and that was a team that then goes on and loses in the state final. So that was right. that was a good team that made a nice little run there after us. So we go into yeah. the one senior season. Um, I'll be interested to get a couple more of your impressions of the uh, schedule as we go through it. Um, sure. An eight and three finish. But as we start off uh, week one, field. Field. Oberlin. Was Oberlin. Yes. The year Oberlin. before. The year before was field, yeah. right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, see, to be honest, 
field for me was sophomore year because it was my first experience at a football game and Hollow was on kickoff. And I remember this dude at field with like broke his arm and had just a pad on it, just clubbing people. Yeah. So and, field field was the 2000 opener. Yeah. And then like you said, yeah, yeah. O- Oberlin was the one your senior year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was Oberlin on like an 78 degree day where we beat him like 52 to nothing. <laughs> and I remember they had like two just enormous D linemen that we were fearing all week and we just shut them down. Mm-hmm. Week two. Yep. Uh, week two, we host the preppers. Um, why don't you go first and then I'll tell uh, sort of my impression of it. I know you've, you've touched a little bit on it, but if there's anything else. Yeah, that... I mean, it, yeah, I, I think I said uh, everything on that game. Um, you know, it was the most important game on the schedule. We got it done. And I couldn't imagine. Uh, I think one particular memory was they, I think Gary Copeland ran for a touchdown or it might have been Ike ran for a touchdown. I think to go ahead, I think they were, it went ahead a touchdown. And I remember just looking up at the scoreboard and it might've been like first quarter, late first quarter, second quarter. I remember just looking up at the scoreboard as they were scoring, just being like, it, I literally said this to myself, it's, it's not going to happen. I just said, there's, I said, there's no way we're losing. I can't live with it. If we lose, it's not happening. And I think every, what was cool is I think everybody else was having that same thought. We're not losing. It's just, it's just, it's just a, a sense of confidence and calm that we knew we would just make it happen. Um, and, you know, fortunately we had a really good game plan and you guys called the right plays and we executed, you know? So it was awesome. Yeah. So, so my impressions um, of that game for the listener, I've got, uh, I've got my Hawk in uh, university 2001 September 1st uh, shirt on 27, 13 for, for the Hawks. Um, So 14 to 13 at half, very close back and forth. Um, Second half gets underway. And I think, uh, I think one of the, uh, just the, the perfect stats for how the second half went were is university's offensive production went like this four punts and two interceptions. Mm. So the defense absolutely locked down and did their part. And then we scored 13 in the third quarter to go with the 27, 13 victory. I like that. You mentioned the, the memory of the picture of the senior class with that university banner, because I was just looking at it, uh, this week and, uh, that's awesome. I don't know why they left that behind because they knew there were not going to be good things done to that. But <laughs> when you lose, I think you're just trying to get off campus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, week three, a 35-0 blowout against Gilmore. And then, <laughs> yeah. or no, I'm sorry, 43-7 to against Gilmore. I, and do, then- I do have a good memory of that, of Gilmore. Um one of our childhood best friends and he's still a close friend today. We text all the time. Harry Figgy grew up and was, uh, uh, went to Hawk and, and left to go to Gilmore where I think he had some family lineage and he was their running back and he couldn't have been more than like 140, wet and wild. Uh, and I remember just coming off the edge 
and just absolutely just annihilating him. There's a great picture of it. Um, so that was one great memory. Uh, the second memory was one of their linebackers was just in my face in the first quarter or first half. And just, we were going at it and I got, you know, I, I never really lost my cool, but I, I, I lost my cool and I didn't get flagged or anything, but your dad pulled me out so quick and, and just, he literally just got belly to belly with me. And I just remember him calmly just grabbing me and just saying, relax you'll go back in when you can relax. And that's all he said, you know, something to that effect. Um, and that was really the first, and that was like the only time where he ever had to get me in check. You know, I pretty much um, followed the, followed the line as much as possible, but that was one where, you know, you were, you were not going to be out of line. You were, that's the one thing about our teams is we were, we were always so well disciplined. we, we never, and I've, I've coached teams where we did not have discipline. And I've coached teams where players, you know, tell you what they think and lose their crap. And, you know, unfortunately, again, when you're not the head coach, you can only do so much. But, um, you know, any of our teams at Hawken were, were always, you know, very well disciplined and very professional. So one of my memories about that game, because that was, that was an away game, right? That was at Gilmore. Yeah, that was, that was at Gilmore. Yeah. Yeah, so um, we are up, I want to say, I want to say we might have been up about like 27, got the ball back right before half, and we called a timeout to try to get one more play in, and we did, and we line up and Beck kicks a field goal, so we go up like 30, yep. 32 zip at half. And we have to cross the field to get to our locker room, which is walking towards the home side. And their D coordinator, I don't think it was their head coach, but their D coordinator yells across the field, why why are you trying to score? Why don't you guys show some class? And Moses yells back, why don't you try to stop us? That's your job. Wow. See, I think for me, and I hope you do this, but... I hope that you bring on some coaches and some former coaches because I would love to hear about the memories from the coach's perspective and the trips down to scout. Like we don't make trips to scout and everything's all done on huddle. Now with zoom, you don't even, you don't even need to do as many meetings, um, which is from an efficiency and a work-life balance standpoint, better. Completely but, agree. But you know, going down in Moses's truck, and, you know, I'm sure probably being on empty or needing to, you know, use the restroom or the shell gas station. I'm sure you guys have a ton of those stories. So as a player and an alum, I would love if you could have some episodes to have some former coaches um, just to talk about those memories. Paul, I talked about uh, I talked about how sort of the the shift towards huddle and the digital um, exchanging of game film is great because you get it immediately and the way you can break it down and pass it off to your players and they don't have to huddle up into the uh, coach's office and try to watch it on some, uh, you know, 27 inch bubble. But uh, one, I said that some of my fondest memories that I will remember till the end are scouting trips, the best, the absolute best, because you're trying to, you're trying to get off of the practice field Friday after a, after a walkthrough. And depending on where you're going, you're either like 
making a long drive to get somewhere. You're just going a little bit down the road in Geauga County, but you're trying to factor a couple of things. And I'll just repeat this. You're trying to get to the field early enough so you can see their pregame walkthrough. You're trying to get there early enough so that you could be by the gate that the team is going to exit to go to their locker room before kickoff. Because everything with Coach Moses and my dad was about the look test. Film was great and film provided so many opportunities to get those subtle advantages and things that you could do in preparation. But the eye test, to be able to see those players walk by you and size them up that way. And then the game starts and you're watching and you're you're charting all the plays. And if it's if you're matched up with Coach Moses and you're doing the opponent's offense, you're getting all of the plays diagrammed. And that's a two-person job because someone's charting and the other person's eyeing it and calling it out. And then one, maybe two, it depends if it was a four or a three-man scouting crew. Uh we're taking care of specialty and personnel. And then someone was also doing the defensive fronts, blitzes, coverage, things like that. So you're getting all that charted. At some point in the second half, you have to spend no fewer than one or two series in the end zone so that you can see the team from behind because you have to see their spacing with their offensive line to see how wide condensed all of that is. And you want to see them execute their offense from behind because it's one thing to see it from up high in the bleachers. It's another to see it from behind and to see how they sort of execute. They pull, are they able to uh, tip anything off from, uh, from that behind vantage point? So scouting was awesome. And then you spent the whole drive back talking about it as you were trying to manually dial into some AM station and pick up the scores at 10 o'clock. Yep. It's, uh, it's a, it's a lost art. Um, and like I said, right, there's, there's pros to not having to do that as much as a, as a dad and, and just, and just having some more time to yourself, right. To do some things, but also like, those are some of the best memories. Um, one of my first memories of scouting was, uh, a summer before I went back to college, I went over to West G and watched West G versus Chagrin Falls. And I think Lombardi was the running back. And I believe you guys had them scheduled. And I literally filled up a legal pad and I didn't know how to scout. I just figured, all right, I, I think I know how to scout. And I just figured I filled up a legal pad and I drove over the next day and gave it to your dad. And I just said, here, here are my notes on, on, uh, on Chagrin Falls. So it's just, it's just, it's just, I was, I couldn't wait to do that stuff. I mean, that, that I could do for hours, uh, you know, um, I'd say to your point on the, those memories, some of my best memories here as a coach in DC are going on, um, you know, going to see kids, <laughs> uh, recruiting in this area is, uh, I, I wouldn't call it the wild west, but there's, there's no clear cut Bible on it or rule book. Um, you obviously, you know, you, you're not going to be an idiot, but, um, you can go to any little league game or pop Warner game and you can, you can just show up and just, just see kids and, and parents just start talking to you. And so, um, the year we won the, uh, championship and were ranked in the top 25 in DC, which is really hard to do was 2016. And that was a culmination of several kids that we had identified and found to come to Murray, uh, that were tremendous students. One is at Navy as a defensive back. Um, another is at Tufts. 
uh, was, uh, I think, academic All-American. Uh, two more are down at Wake Forest. And um, the, the memories that I have is every recruiting trip, always go to Chick-fil-A. Always go to Chick-fil-A, whether we bring it with us or go after. Um, and I remember being up in Maryland at 10 o'clock at night where parents are turning on their car headlights so that the kids can play and meeting parents, you know, in that setting um, all hours of the night, driving into D.C., going out to Virginia. So, you know, I, I miss that stuff. Um, hopefully, you know, when my kids get a little bit older and I'm still coaching, I'll get back into it because um, I'm a dad first. But um, I, I, I do do. Uh, I'm with you on that. So week four is the uh, Wycliffe game, which you already touched base on. Whew. Yeah, um, that is the <laughs> that is the game following 9-11. Uh, not knowing how that how that weekend's worth of games was going to unfold, whether some games were going to get postponed or not. Um, thoughts on thoughts on that? Did you have much? Did the team have much of a sort of impression about like this is nationally, globally, what just happened, and what are we doing? Or <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the the morning of 9-11, I was sitting on the senior bench, and I remember uh, Mr. Neal's, I think, was the principal's assistant, ran out and said, what happened? And we all went to school meeting, and we put a TV down in the little pit there. And we all sat in the pit and watched everything unfold. Uh, and then I remember running out to my car, because at the time, you always kept your cell phone in your car. You never carried it with you. And uh, so I, I, I pulled out my little Nokia Florida State Seminoles cell phone and um, called my sister who was working for the Department of Justice in DC and I couldn't get a hold of her. The lines were busy. Um, and later did I find out she was hustled down to the basement of the FBI command center um, and she was working um, all hours of the night to figure out what happened. And that's how she met her husband who um, is, was a, is a retired FBI agent. She met her husband because of 9-11. So um, some silver lining there. But, um, yeah, and then we had a memorial service, um, and I just remember it being pretty, pretty sad. I don't think I was at the age to understand, you know, truly what was going to be happening and what would, the way it would shape policy for the next 20 plus years. Um, but we just wanted to play. And so we rolled over there, uh, and it was a hard fought game. We lost 50 to 43 in triple overtime. Like I said, I had a terrible first half. Um, but I think I had a really, really good second half, uh, or, you know, we just had a really good second half and the quarterback fell into my lap, you know, several times. Um, and so I was able to, to get a, a good game. I remember, uh, I remember, I remember the fan support at Wycliffe was crazy. Uh, I remember that when I had a sack, I just remember watching it on film and I hit, it was like the quarterback was running around and I caught up to him again. And I just flipped over him while tackling him. And I remember watching the film of it. And I remember just everybody going absolutely ape on the sideline. And, um, and subsequently we lost. And I remember walking through that handshake line dejected. And I remember getting off the bus at Hawkin and I fell to the ground because my quads and hamstrings both cramped up. Um, I left my car key in the locker room, which had then been locked after everybody went home. And so I slept at Tim Austin's house and I remember getting home 
And Tim's house was completely quiet, except for like a little light on in the kitchen and this beast of a man sitting at the kitchen table, just waiting patiently. And I just remember Tim going in and sitting down with his dad. And if anybody knows Tim's dad, he is, you know, the nicest guy, tons of passion. And, you know, I was not in, it wasn't anything uh, purposeful, but I was not, I knew not to go in that kitchen. I knew that was Tim and his dad talking about the game because it meant so much to them as a family. And just, you know, that's the kind of kid Tim was. Uh, and I fell asleep on the couch and <laughs> showed up for film and run the next day. So that was kind of my Wycliffe story. Thanks for sharing that story, Paul. Um, that was the, that was the classic game of just both teams, just battling it out. And, uh, just nothing left at the end when the clock hit zero. What was, uh, what was the coach's perspective, if you recall, from just that triple overtime experience? Um, I would have to say it was missed opportunity in the first two overtimes. You know, I mean, it's uh, probably the single greatest individual performance statistically for Matt Corrin. Uh, in program history, I mean, when, anytime you go over 500 yards in a single game for all-purpose yards, and at the time you have the school record for 352 yards rushing, and I think you had six six touchdowns in that game. Um, you know, it's it's about more than just him, but those stats that yeah. are attributed to him, <laughs> those stats that are attributed to him are amazing. Um, but I think it's those those lost opportunities that we felt like in the first and second overtime. Uh, it was looking like it was gonna it was gonna come out on the po- on the plus for us, and uh, just didn't. And then it went to the third one, and that's where they got us. Mm-hmm. Those are tough ones, you know. Those are those are tough ones to have are, something to those, say coming out. Yeah, those those are tough ones. But I will say that if you're gonna lose, you want to lose that way. You don't want to lose forty two to nothing. Like to me. And I've always felt this as a coach, like I hate losing, but I don't get, you know, in a funk or a depression from losing, or I don't act like the world's ending. And I actually am, I, I'm, I'm, if I pull, like you said, your glass half full guy, like, so if I'm going to be that guy out of a loss for me, if it's a hard fought loss and it's a great game, I just have so much respect for the other team and the other coaching staff. And it's just such a fun experience. I know it sucks that we lost, but I'd much rather have that experience than just get trucked 42 to nothing. And just Yeah, for sure. I think um I think my thoughts on those two uh different types of losses are this. Um losing 42 nothing or getting shut out in that fashion is awful. It's a little bit easier sometimes to turn the page and just focus on next team up. And I think what we're about to talk about is the way that that Wycliffe game was so crushing and so, uh, so close is it became two, one became two and the orange game the following week was a definite, um, hangover, so to speak, where it, um, became a loss because there was just so much that was taken from us in that previous week's game. So Mm -hmm. before we go on to that orange game though, you kind of, you really Man, you really undersold your uh, two sack performance in that Wycliffe game. Um, 
I think it was three. It was three. So I even according under, to, I according undersold According to the it. article, yeah. According to the article <laughs> written by 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 Michael Klimko, <laughs> classic Klimko. Well, if if classic Klimko is going to give you three, then I'm giving you three also. Um, but listen, a, a three, a two or three sack performance is something to uh, be proud of. To do it against a quarterback as talented as Hoos from Wycliffe uh, is something that you can uh, you can tell stories about down the road because that kid was uh, a handful to have to contain yeah. and to be able to try to stop. So the Orange game, we uh, we host Orange the following week, and uh, like I said, you go into that game, and I, I talk to the current team right now. Um, one of the things that I say from time to time is. Um, one, not two. So if something bad happens one time, don't let it happen twice. One loss, don't let it be twice. So one, not two. And then the flip side of it is why not two? So when something good happens, why not two? Why not make it a second time? Why not make it a habit? One win next week. Why not two? Let's make it a second win. So just kind of that way of looking at it. Well, the orange game turned into a very close loss, um, 31-28. So what 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 I'm gonna use that for is this crushing Wycliffe triple overtime loss, following week, three point margin of loss to an orange team, and we have a road game against Cardinal in week six. Let's talk about that game. I've got probably clearer memories of that game and leading up to it than almost any other game on your schedule that year. But I'd love to hear sort of the approach mentally and physically going into that Cardinal game that you and your teammates uh, went with. Yeah, so um, so we lost to Orange on Saturday. Um, I remember sitting in my bed on Saturday night, my mom coming in, going, everybody's calling you, wondering, you know, where you are, are you going out to hang out with your friends? And I was just, you know, it was just like classic Paul. He's just not going to go anywhere. He's just not going to talk to anybody. Like that's, that's how serious I took it. Um, and the next week, uh, Monday afternoon, 3.30 rolls around. We hit the lap on the practice field. And as we finished the lap, uh, senior linebacker and fullback number 36, Sam McCreary pulls us in and just reads us the riot act. And basically the short cliff notes is that, uh, this will not and, and will not happen ever again. And so that was probably the best week of practice, um, we had. And then we rolled out to Cardinal, uh, and first play of the game. Uh, I got through and McCreary and I just demolished the, the running back in the backfield. I remember again, watching film. And when that happening, I remember looking at your dad, just, just so jacked up that we just started off on the right note on that play. Um, I don't think they got a first down the entire first half. Uh, I think we beat them 31 to seven. Uh, and, and there was absolutely no doubt about it. That, that was just, it's just, you know, we were not going to lose that game. I think we were we were prepared for a very tough game, and there was an ounce of doubt that we were going to lose that game. Like anything, right? You're always there's a little bit of nerves there, but 
we just we just executed and performed and we were just a better team. So <laughs> we were cautious going into that game because that Cardinal team was good. They finished seven and three. Um, you don't control who's on your schedule, but through three games, Cardinal was three and zero and outscored their opponents one hundred ninety one to zero. That's insane. So this is a team that can uh, can score the ball for sure. And we're coming off of two difficult losses. And as a coaching staff, we're wondering, are we going to be able to uh, right the ship? And like you said, yeah, a good week of practice. Team looks focused. But you don't ultimately know until the ball is kicked off, right? So right. we walk and get on the uh, team buses. We're getting ready to leave the school and head out uh, east towards Middlefield. And in my 30 plus years of being on the team bus for away games, easily the quietest bus ride I've ever been on in my life. Quieter, really? th- quieter than return trips home after a loss. You guys were so quiet. I don't know if before we got on, if the captains were like telling the sophomores and juniors, like, you don't dare say if we hear you say anything, you know, we'll deal with it afterwards. I don't know if there's any sort of message like that. It was the quietest bus ride out there. So we're getting out there. We pull into their uh, driveway and we're sort of snaking our way back to uh, where we drop off. And as we're dropping off, their cheerleaders are putting a homecoming message in the fence with like red, red, red solo cups. They're sticking them in there to spell out like beat the Hawks or homecoming Oh one or whatever it was. And I remember as if you guys needed any more motivation or any more reason to buckle down on the task at hand, you guys are walking off the bus and Christy is like, flamethrowing you guys as you're coming out saying they scheduled you for their homecoming. And you guys, I mean, like you guys are walking out there and you're like, jaws are clenched. You guys just wanted the game to start. But John was just there and he's like, they scheduled you for homecoming. They don't schedule the Hawks for homecoming. They schedule someone else. And the game starts. And it was just like you said, I mean, just wanting to take it out on your opponent. And unfortunate for Cardinal, it was them because that was not going to be a three uh, game losing streak. And 31 to seven actually feels closer than what it was (laughs) because because it was total domination. And it wasn't until the game ended then that there was sort of that exhale moment, I feel like, for the team, because you guys were just like, you had that bad taste in your mouth from the previous two weeks. And uh, you were going to correct it, and you did. But once that game ended, it was just like, all right, now let's get back on track. Love it. So week seven, we have a uh, Berkshire game. Week eight. Yeah, which was – yeah, Berkshire was closer. When I looked at the score, it was way closer than I thought it was. Bad weather game, I remember, right? Little rainy. Yeah, so I was – so, so, the, so the chicken nuggets and honey mustard in the White House did not <laughs> sit well. Did not sit well that week, and so I caught I caught the flu going around school, and I to this day will never eat honey mustard again. And so I did not 
I stayed home from school Friday, but showed up to pregame practice Friday afternoon, but was in the press box running the um, coach wouldn't let me practice because I wasn't at school. So he put me in the press box running the um, fight songs for pregame. And I was doing, I was, and I, and I was, I was showing my personality with my MC skills on the mic as well, which, which didn't go over well. Um, (laughs) But then the next day, I'm sorry. So that was Thursday. So that was Thursday pregame because it was a Friday night game. So then we went out to Berkshire and it was forties and rain. And I was playing completely just, I thought I was going to throw up every single play. I was just so sick and we beat them. And then uh, actually McClintock came up to me the next day at film and said, that's the best game you've ever played offensively, which was kind of cool. Um, and, and when I had watched the film, I think, I think he was right. Um, but uh, yeah, that was crazy. So you said you're a fan earlier of Chick-fil-A and if you don't do the honey mustard, are you barbecue guy or what are you? I, I, I get every sauce that I like and I just go open, open, open. And I just do sampler. I just do sampler. Big fan of the Texas Pete packets on the, on the sandwich. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, my wife makes fun of me because I probably do 25 mayo packets of mayo to just a pile of mayo. Something about Chick-fil-A's mayo is off the chain. <laughs> uh, there should be uh, some sort of endorsement deal somewhere because there are a lot of people that are not fans of mayo. So, yeah. uh, Week eight. And uh, this would be an easy one to sort of gloss over, but I got a good memory of this one about uh, one of your teammates. So week eight, Grand Valley. Go out and just sort of wreck them, right? So yeah, slow, little slow start, but man, do we just take it to um 55, 14. And so if you've never been out to grand Valley for anything, Orwell, Ohio is heading East on Mayfield, just shy of PA. So it takes a little bit to get there, but it's like a two turn trip. It's not hard to get there. It just takes a while. And so Orwell is where the Corin family resides. And Matt was a sophomore, no, junior that year. Junior. 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 Yeah, junior that year. And so I always found this to be so amazing is it was always like a personal game, a personal game for him and his family because his mom still taught within the Grand Valley School District. And they assumed like Corin just showed up at Hawken to uh, to play football like he was recruited or something, even though his mom was like, let's get out of here. And his older brother, Ray, also went to uh, Hawken as well. Mm -hmm. So it's not like Matt just Mm -hmm. showed up on the scene when he became a football talent. So Matt has this great game. And uh, I have it down as 234 yards rushing. He had five TDs. So great game. And I remember my dad being like, you know, riding the team bus is super important. But it was like, Matt, you know, if if you want to stay out here with your folks and just kind of go home from here, that'd be all right. You know, I I understand. And Matt was not down with that. He wanted to get on the bus with his teammates. He wanted to ride the 50 minute drive back to Gates mills. And he wanted to be a part of those tangs for just shy of an hour. So he could, Mm -hmm. so he could get changed, get back in the car and head 50 back the other way. I think that is so cool. What a great teammate. What a great example of the brotherhood that you guys had on that team 
that he wanted to be a part of that. And it was not even a question of missing it. Yeah. Grand Valley. Um, I feel like Cardinal Berkshire and Grand Valley for me kind of always meld into one kind of like community of schools. Um, and, and I think we took Grand Valley pretty seriously because they, they always just could compete. Um, but yeah, we handled them pretty well. It was a lot of fun. That was, that was a game where we were just, we were just in their community and we were just running up and down the field all over them. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. So then week nine, Kirtland, um, we return, yeah. ho- we return home. That's a, uh, 40 to zero, uh, beat down. And, um, then week 10 would be the home game against, uh, Newberry 35, 12. And you had referenced earlier about how we were keeping track of, having to win that game and have a couple extra things the night before go our way in order to get a week 11 for the postseason. Um, so that does happen. We get the week 11 mm-hmm. and we get a rematch of the previous year's contest against Chanel, who, who eliminated us. And now here's a Chanel team that, like I said, was runner up and now they have plenty of talent coming back. And they got eyes on trying to win a title. We go in there and this was, uh, they were the one seed. We were the eight seed. So it was hosted by them at their place. And um, you go in with your game plan and your mindset of this is a strong team. We got to do our part and we can't let them have sort of any, any openings to uh to make us pay so we got to capitalize on all opportunities and we just gotta we got to be sharp and we can't can't make mistakes and uh play number uh let's see series number one we get the ball and we drive down and we go to convert on a fourth down and uh let's say questionable uh questionable spot and so they call us up short and so uh, sudden change is a term in the coaching uh, coaching world that you use a lot when you're in practice settings because you're trying to work on not just the physical sudden change of, hey, offense to defense or defense to offense, but it's the, the mental piece, sudden change. Something good happened, sudden change. Now we got to go and capitalize. Something bad happened, sudden change. Now we got to get our focus and not bring that previous play with us as we go. So fourth down failed conversion and uh, sudden change turns into power right and they bounce it and take it to the house. And that was kind of that was kind of the setting of that game. Yeah. um, So just kind of rewind back to Monday sitting in the high school gym. Uh, Coach announces that we have Chanel. We start watching film. I remember seeing the size of the defensive linemen <laughs> and offensive linemen that we were going up against. And I wasn't, it's funny, like you're, you're 17, 18 years old. You're not, you're not scared. You're just like, what do I got to do to win? Like, what do I have to do to win the battle? Like, what, what am I going to do? I'm 155 pounds wet and wild. Like, what am I going to do? So what did I do? I had like six extra pizza boats at the White House because I figure, oh, I'm going to bulk up this week. <laughs> <laughs> Flash bulk. <laughs> <laughs> I 
So I'm going to bulk up. I'm going to eat some pizza boats. I'm going to have some extra ice cream milkshakes, you know, at home, whatever. Um, and we, we, we roll into Chanel on a Friday night. It's, uh, it's an unbelievable great week of practice. I think, um, you know, everybody was, everybody was locked in. We get to Chanel and I remember they gave us a, a locker room and I remember being out in the taping area. I never got taped, but I remember being in the taping area watching guys get taped up. And I remember Rotsky was there and I remember he just kind of had an aura about him. He's a very fiery, flashy coach and says what he thinks and, you know, successful pretty much wherever he went for, you know, the myriad of reasons. But um, I remember just being like, man, that's their coach. Right. You know, so there's him. And I remember seeing their guys getting taped and just being like, it was like Dallas Carter versus Odessa. Like these guys were, you know, same colors too, red, red uniforms. It was, they were huge. And, um, I remember sitting outside the locker room, uh, getting some air, uh, in between the locker room building and the field and just kind of, just kind of looking at the stadium and hearing the announcer and just kind of taking it all in. I remember my extended family came to the game. My grandfather came to the game. I mean, this was a, this was a big deal, um, for the community. I, I think at least, or at least it was for us. Um, and then I remember that first drive, like we moved the ball. Like it was, you know, I remember being upset on trap and McCreary like yelled at me. He's like, dude, we just got four yards. Relax. Like that's good. Um, and we moved it, we moved it. And then fourth down, we just got a terrible, terrible spot. Um, and then they ran power and, you know, I remember watching the film and they were going to run, I think, four or six power and four or six was closed. And so he decided to put the jets on and go eight. (laughs) And then I remember getting off my block and looking at him hit the edge. And then I think my pursuit angle was 271, uh, 271 South (laughs) was my pursuit angle. Cause I was like, this guy is gone. I mean, this was, you know, division one, Tony uh, Franklin, yeah. Tony yeah. Franklin, full ride, uh, went to UVA, to and, UVA. Uh, and and made a name for himself for a, a little bit while he was there. So yeah, uh, and so so that was it. And then uh, I think we lost thirty five fourteen. I think we were down twenty one nothing at half. Um, you know, and they just they just they just held it together, and they were just they were just a faster, bigger team. And uh, we didn't. I don't think we got any breaks. That's the thing. Like as a coach, we played. Um, we played Landon school for boys, which is kind of like us, um, to, uh, fall of fall of 19. And we played them for our homecoming cause we couldn't schedule anybody else. It was a scheduling issue. So it's like, all right, great. We schedule this team. We have no business playing. And we played them. I think we were up like 16 to 13 at the half, which is unheard of, but we caught every break, right? Like the, 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 the pass that was tipped up in the air, we caught it down and went an extra 20 yards. Like their penalties, their late hits, they're roughing the passers. Um, you know, just all that stuff fell into our lap, which allowed us to keep it that close. And then, of course, the better team took over and won in the second half. But we just never got any of those breaks uh, in either Chanel game. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. So, so it's an ending of a chapter for you and uh, your teammates, your classmates in that uh, that's it. That's the last time that we're gonna that we're gonna uh, be on the field together, and it's uh, coming to a 
coming to a close and there were um, many of you that weren't going to go on and play in college the following year. Uh, describe for describe for us what that's like to have that chapter uh, of your athletics sort of athletic career come to a close. Yeah. So, um, and I was just laughing because I forgot that on um, Monday of Chanel week, a couple of us took uh, clippers and shaved our heads. And by the time three thirty rolled around for uh, for film and walkthrough of the of the that week against Chanel, like thirty five kids rolled up to practice with shaved heads. We had kids willingly volunteer themselves, like over garbage cans in the old academic wings, being like, "I'm up. Can you shave my head?" And so, <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a picture of us eleven after the game, most of us in tears, mud all over our jerseys that I actually still have in my office today. Um, uh, that was our last game together and our last game. Um, I also have a picture of us outside the old weight room that week of practice, the opposite, everybody laughing, everybody smiling with the shaved heads. All half of us had our shirts off, you know, just classic. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, you left it all on the field. Um, it sucked the way that it ended. I don't think I had any regrets. Um, I was obviously completely upset that we lost. Um, but I think I was more so uh, upset that the chapter had ended uh, and that, you know, that program and that time is, is done. But I also look back on it uh, knowing that we really did it the way that I would have written the book. Like we beat us. We had a great year. We made the playoffs two out of the three years I was on the program. Um, and you know, it, it, I'm sure everybody has similar, um, reasons as to kind of where they're at now and what influenced them. But for me, the, uh, the experience at the program and getting coached by your dad, um, it, you know, it, it meant a lot and it, it literally formulated my, what I wanted to do. And it, 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 you know, um, motivated me to, you know, want to get into the coaching profession and learn the profession and try to master the profession. Um, and it ultimately it's like when I want to figure out like who I want to spend time around, you know, for me, like I want to spend time around other fellow coaches and just learn what they're doing and figuring out like what works, what doesn't work. And, you know, that's all because of my experience, um, you know, with the program and, and with coach Walton. That's great. Yeah. Let's take a pause for this week's ask coach segment. If you'd like to be a part of the ask coach segment, Visit the I Went Down to the River Instagram account, and there you can submit your questions. This week's question, what qualities were you looking for in your coaching staff? Well, uh, I was very, very, very blessed to have uh, some outstanding, uh, some uh, outstanding young men work with me. Uh, and uh, I, I think that the, the universal thing was that uh, we weren't going to be, and there's 
examples uh, uh, out there in the in the football coaching world, especially that uh, where uh, uh, somebody might think that they have to they have to swear at their players and yell at them and everything like this just to just to get them to perform and stuff like that. And uh, that uh, that wasn't going to be a part of our aspect. And the gentleman that came on to the staff understood that that we were going to work hard, teach them, work with them, uh, but we were going to treat them treat them with a great deal of respect because they were taking on a great challenge to try and perform on the football field. And uh, I remember uh, there was a, a one young man that was uh, came onto the from the outside. He came onto the football uh, staff and uh, I had to have a couple talks with him because he would uh, go overboard with language and just the way he was treating the players. And so um, uh, I told him we don't we don't carry ourselves that way, and he uh, <laughs> he stayed with us uh, just that year, and then he left and uh, he went somewhere else because uh, it wasn't the program that he was looking for, and it wasn't the kind of uh, uh, staff member that we were looking for either. So that's that's probably the uh, the qualities that uh, we had, and like I said, we've been blessed to have so many so many teachers that were on board with that and uh, you know there's there's just too many to to, to mention but uh, i will say that uh, there was uh, back in 81 gary moses from the outside was brought in by frank rico as a friend of his and he said hey gary would love to he played uh, played football over here at brush high school and he'd like to just try and coach and everything so and he had his own drywall business and uh Gary came in. We talked for a while. He joined the staff, and uh, he was with the staff the entire time that I coached, and that was uh, pretty special. And uh, uh, you know, he would he would come over on a Sunday night early in the film sessions uh, when we didn't have the technology that we had now. He'd come over to my house on Sunday night, and we'd spend about oh, four or five hours breaking down the film and getting ready for the next week. Uh, and uh, anyway, great. Great coaching staff, great individuals, and I was very blessed to have that opportunity. And now back to the interview. Let's uh, let's transition here to some two minute fun. All right, so yep, let's rip some uh, some quick fire here. Any significance to your jersey number? Oh gosh. Uh, I don't think there was significance other than somebody told me like when the jerseys were all laying out, uh, you know, just go be, go be a double number, go be 66. So like they, that's a, that's a fierce lineman number. So that was it. What are you closest to today? Your 40 time, your 800 time or your bench? Uh, I'm better. I'm faster than my 40 time in high school. I'm probably faster than my 800 time slash. <laughs> I can actually slash. I can actually finish it. Uh, and I'm nowhere near my bench. I mean, I'm nowhere near my bench. Dude, are you running red group and 800 right now or <laughs> probably not? Probably not. I'm probably that second one, but I mean, I was, All right. you know, I was, I was 155 throwing <laughs> up like 25 reps of my weight in the bench getting number one on the list heck yeah you know what upper <laughs> what upperclassmen had the biggest impact on you as a player mm, man that's tough um i would say 
the the, the line collectively. Arun, Jason, Wes. Okay. Um, I'm blanking. Oh, Tim was the center. Yeah, just the line and their mentality collectively awesome. had had a, had a, an impact on me. And then like Matt Roth's swagger. Like Matt Roth had just so much swagger. For sure. He's just, he was just such a G. (laughs) What makes fudge good? What makes fudge good? Uh, The temperature has to come like right out of the fridge. Uh, Not, not too cold, um, but it's got to come right out of the fridge and it just can't be mushy. Can you name a song from your senior year game tape? Oh, uh, the Osborne crazy train <laughs> and, Link- uh, and Lincoln Park crawling. <laughs> Time. Uh, hey, I want to circle back to you uh, uh, to two of your answers there. Matt Roth. Let's talk. Let's talk for a minute about Matt Roth, because I think Matt Roth's an underappreciated member of the uh, the Hawk and history books. Uh, your impressions of him. You talk about that swag, that G status. Uh, explain that for us. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, Matt was not a Hawken lifer. He came in for whatever reasons. I don't really know, you know, how he got to Hawken. Um, I didn't know him well. Uh, I still don't know him well, but I saw what he did on the field and how he practiced and how he acted uh, on the field and how he performed. And I mean, how could you not? And I, I remember even my, I remember even my parents were just like, man, this kid can fly. Like he's so exciting to watch. I just think everybody just enjoyed watching him run the football. I also think that um, he was, he was a kind person on the field to younger players. Like he would hit you, he'd run you over, but he wasn't, he wasn't a dick about it. He wasn't, um, he wasn't like, you deserve this, or I'm going to do this to you because I'm a senior like that. He didn't care about any of that. And so I think I, I think I just respected, I think I just respected him. Um, and I think, you know, he played with a broken wrist one or two games. Um, and he just didn't, he was his own dude. And I think he, I think he fell into the Hawking way, but I don't think he was as intense and like, in love with it as like somebody like myself or, or other people, you know what I mean? Um, I think he's just kind of his own person. Um, but he was just a talent to watch. I just remember toss power and just watching him get through the line of scrimmage and just taking off and then just one cut, you know, on the free safety. And just, it was just like time and time again, it's like, all right, how many 60, 70, 80 yard runs are we going to see on toss power with him? Like, it was just so fun. Smooth one cut. That's how I would describe his style smooth and one cut just downhill mm-hmm. approach your cleats in the ground make that one cut and then just you just like effortlessly just like glide and explosive people. Yeah, yeah explosive yeah so i'm looking at uh just real quick his career i mean for total touchdowns he's seventh uh career for us um in most all-purpose yardage career he's third of all time there rushing yardage career he's fourth um, so he, uh, he had some serious, uh, seriously meaningful snaps in the Hawken program. Um, second fudge, you gotta, you gotta expand a little bit on that. I feel like you could have used more time for your answer there. Um, yeah, I mean, 
I think the, uh, I think fudge is fudge, right? So, um, I think part of it was, part of it was no matter how good or bad it was, it was just an opportunity to rip on the guy that had the, the girl make it, you know, whether it was his sister or his mom or his girlfriend or somebody he wanted to date, like it was just funny. Um, but you know, the fudge, the fudge that you could just take a piece and not get all dirty and it was just easy and cold and had some peanut butter in it. That was it for me. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've talked about, uh, a lot of ways that fudge is good. And then a lot of ways that it's bad. And the consistency piece is so strong because you got to have, it, it's got to be together. If you come out there and it's all soupy and soft, it, that's terrible. I mean, I'm not spending any time with it. Uh, if it's gritty because the sugar didn't get mixed yeah. and cooked in, I'm done with that. Um, and and spe- speaking of like, you know, residue left on your uh, your fingers after fudge, uh, this brings up a tradition I totally forgot of, but is one of my favorites, which is mud. The mud. Paul, it's my favorite. Claiming the field is my favorite. Claim, claiming the field. Um, I don't know where that mud came from. My guess is somewhere in the woods. Um, I would love for it to be divulged, but uh, I would take the mud and I would go to every single pylon and I would draw an H on the top of the pylon. So I was just talking uh, with someone about this and the people that took that tradition seriously, I love hearing the reason for where they put the dirt in each of the end zone. Because uh, like I said, there were jokers that, you know, just got the dirt and like tossed it over their shoulder, dropped it at their feet. And it was just like part of like a checklist for pregame for them. But if you watched the, the uh, teammates or the players that were really into it, dude, it was robotic and it was mechanical and they would just, they had a reason for it. And I'm hoping that as people come on the, uh, the pod and take that trip down to the river that, um, I remember to ask them all that because, you know, mine was, I, I would take it to all four corners of the pylon and, uh, I would take three steps away cause my Jersey number was three. So I'd take three good steps out of, uh, out of the corner from the pylon and I'd do that in both end zones. And that was just my thing. Other people would be, you know, looking up to see if the crossbar lined up above their head and they'd do some sort of step to the middle or something like that. And, uh, yeah. So interesting to hear, uh, why people chose to put the dirt down where they did. And now it's, now it's, if it still exists, is it a cup of water on turf? We don't currently claim the field. Um, I do have a, uh, it did transition to cup of water when we started having a rise in turf fields. <laughs> Sadly, um, one of the low lights of that tradition I was a part of, I was a sophomore in 93 when we went out to Perry for their new stadium and, uh, we got off the bus and they gave us, I think we got out there like 30 minutes early and they gave us a little tour of the inside of the complex and cause there's nothing like it in the area. It was a first of its kind. Yeah. And then we get out to the field and we're going to claim it and we're rubbing dirt on their turf, their brand new turf. And, uh, they were not happy nor should they have been. And it was one of those things where like, as you look back on it, you're like, we shouldn't have done that. And I'm sorry we did, but 
you know, we did it and <laughs> they were pissed and, but we won. You want to hear a par- a funny Perry story real quick? Always. Seven, seventh grade, you know, going from Lynnhurst to Perry felt like we were literally leaving earth <laughs> and you would leave Lynnhurst and it would be 65 and sunny on September <laughs> in a September day. And then you would be like, I don't know what route you took, but you'd be on 90 or something or two or whatever it was. And it would just get cloudy and cloudy and cloudy. And you'd get off the bus and it was like 40 and cloudy. And you'd be on this just hard concrete turf floor. And we got annihilated. I mean, these kids were huge. And all I remember was at the end of the game, Perry's parents gave us like soda and donuts or pop and donuts called soda now. And I remember in eighth grade, we came back to Perry for some reason. And I remember laughing. Um, no, sorry. This was high school. I remember high school, we went out to Perry for baseball and we were all laughing about how when we go to Perry, we just don't want to play. We just want the soda and the donuts and we want to go home <laughs> because it was just, we don't even want to get annihilated. Yeah. On that field. <laughs> so, so the temp, the temp drops were real because you were hitting those power plant plant clouds that were just oh taking it God. down like 15 to 20. Oh my God. It was so funny. We're like, just give us our seven ups and our, our cream donuts and let us go in peace. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, Paul, do me a favor. Tell us, uh, tell us what you're up to these days. Uh, yeah. So graduated from college, uh, in 06, started coaching, got my master's degree in public policy, um, was working at a school similar to Hawken in fundraising and development. Uh, and that's kind of where uh, I started learning, you know, the what I call the art of cultivation. And um, that transitioned me smoothly into a career in uh, financial services. Uh, and now I run my own company, which is Franklin Capital Strategies. Um, and um, I follow sort of in the footsteps of my dad and grandfather, who were also in the financial services business. Um, and, uh, you know, I've kind of created uh, a different type of practice. Um, then they ran and just kind of keeping up with, you know, the trends of today and kind of where I think the future of the business is going. Um, but the coolest thing about my job um, is that, you know, I'm a business owner, so I get to turn the lights on and turn the lights off when I want, when I want. And, um, you know, I'm just so excited to go to every single one of my daughter's games and be at every, you know, as many practices as I can. I'm excited to continue coaching. Um, I'm at the point now where I've been coaching football for 15 years. Um, and, you know, a lot of it has changed, but a lot of it is still the same. I'm at a very, uh, a very cool program called Murray, um, run by a guy who's a dear friend of mine. Um, and, you know, the way that he runs the program is it's, 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 uh, it's not the end of the world, right? We're all dads. We're all parents. We're all people. And, um, you know, we, we, we run a tight ship and we have fun. Uh, and, and some years we have great teams. Um, some years we have mediocre teams, but it's just been a lot of fun to be a part of that community and that program. Um, and I've just, I, there's a lot of talent out here and there's a lot of speed. Uh, like I always grew up going, no, that, you know, the toughest players are Ohio, Michigan and, you know, and Ohio and Michigan and, and Pennsylvania. And now it, it, it's, it's a different ball game. It's just all about speed and power. And these kids are just so much stronger. Uh, and they're just, 
they're coached up so many different ways by the time you get them that it's just, it's a lot of fun. Um, so I still do that. Um, and I'm the running backs coach, uh, and I'm the run game coordinator for them. And, um, and that's it. So, you know, running my business and coaching, um, you know, I think the last couple of years, like the day or two, or like the couple of weeks preceding the start of the season, although this season's really weird because we didn't have one. Um, I've wondered if, if coaching was still sort of right for me. Um, not because I couldn't do it with, with my family dynamic because I can, but it's just, I wondered if I still had the same passion and energy. Um, and usually like after that first day back, um, I'm back into it and I'm hooked again. Um, because when I, when the season's over, like I'm gone, I'm I'm not up there in the winters and in the off season. Um, I, I literally do a clean break and I, and I get a break from it. Um, there's other in-school coaches that take care of that. Uh, so when I come back, I see the kids and it's like, man, you got big, man, you put on a lot of weight. God, you grew into your body, you know, all those types of things. So um, I think each year at this point is like, do I still want to do it? But I, I think the, I think what COVID has taught me um, is, you know, our business did really well in 2020 knocking on wood um, just because um, of the time we had to dedicate uh, to seeing people and nobody else had anywhere to go. Right. But there, you know, you can only play so much golf and you can only work out so much and you could, you know, I was missing that on the field experience and just, just being outside for two hours every day, running around is just so therapeutic. So, you know, this week was our first week back at practice because we're having a spring season because we didn't have a season in the fall. And like, I'm just coming home with so much more energy and I'm coming home in sweats versus, a, you know, a suit, although I don't really wear a suit anymore. It's just a different, uh, it's a different experience, but it's fun. Uh, and so, you know, that's it at this point. So that's kind of where I'm at. Is there a, a phrase or a saying that you apply to your professional or personal life? Yeah. I mean, expect, I would say expect to win is always carried with me. Um, you know, I, ex I try to, coach my players in that regard that they prepare and expect to win. Um, I aim to do that in my professional life. Um, it, everything is all about expectation of win. I try to, you know, I'm not there yet, but I'm going to teach my girls when they're in sports to be like that and to have fun and to expect to win. And winning is a good thing. Winning is not a bad thing. Um, and, uh, and so I think that's probably the biggest one. Um, I think one, I love the, um, I think it's Teddy Roosevelt, right? Man in the arena, um, is one of my, one of my favorite, um, sayings and quotes. Um, and like, I've got, I'm a dad of two girls. So like it's woman in the arena, right? It's girl in the arena. It's man in the arena. It's wh whatever. I don't care who's in the arena, but like, if you're in the arena and you're sweating and you're falling down and you're doing all the things necessary to get better and to fail and to do all those things. Like there's, there's no, there's no substitute for getting in there, trying it, figuring it out, you know, getting told you can't do it, failing, being told you're not good enough because that's, that's life. And so I think that for me is kind of how I always view, I always view outside perspectives and outside chatter as you're not in the arena. Like, Oh, you know, you coach at a small prep school, like, yeah, I didn't even realize you guys had a football team. It's like, 
I, you know, I tell people show up to our practice, you know, where we are three 30, show up, see how we coach, see how we play, you know, watch the intricacies of the offense and the, and the, um, and the advanced level football that we put in. And we may not have 50 guys, but, but come watch, you know, you're not in the arena with us. You don't know what we're doing. Um, and, and I think, you know, I think a lot of school communities struggle you know, like Ted Ginn at Glenville, like I remember him saying like to his players, like, it's just us, it's just us. And, and you know, I don't want to speak for him, but he had said, you know, nobody else cares about us and, and including sometimes our own community and our own school. He says, it's just us. And I think that the, it's just us is like what every locker room is what makes every locker room so great. It's just you and the coaches, you know, no parents, you know, no outside people. It's just you, the players, and the coaches, and that's it. And it's just all about the people in the moment. Great message. Great message. Love the way you put that. Uh, before you go, Paul, got any financial advice for us for 2021 <laughs> moving forward? Come on. I mean, I got to take this 20- time. I got you on, man. I got to take this moment. You got a little nugget for us? You you can't get time back. So you can't get time back. So start saving and start doing things and start putting things aside and, you know, keep, keep your house in order. Life is short. Uh, it can, it can catch any of us by surprise. Um, nobody's invincible. Um, it's been a, it's been an extremely, uh, tough year for everybody. I think everybody's been affected by COVID. Um, I think everybody's lost people that they know or that know people to COVID. Um, and so, you know, I, I know myself last March when I was, when I was in the office and this was going down, um, I took out, you know, everything in my name and just made sure that the I's were dotted and the T's were crossed. And to be honest, like I'm in the business, so like I should do that, but there's not many people in their thirties that take the time to do that. Um, and there's, there's not many people in their sixties that take the time to do that. So, you know, I just think people should step back and um and get their house in order and just make sure that you know they're leaving everything in good good order should you know something happen so i think that's you know that's just the business that i'm in so it's on my face every day and talk to people every day about all right that's helpful everyone listening get everything taken care of lock it up (laughs) tight tight (laughs) paul thank you so much for joining uh, I knew this was going to be a uh, a fun sit down and a fun chat. Um, your friend, you are a uh, great resource as far as bouncing uh, coaching X's and O's ideas off of. We we often uh, text plays that we find on Twitter or somewhere uh, back and <clears throat> forth to each other, and I value that. Thank you for joining. Thank you for carving out a little time out of your schedule, and. Uh, Really appreciate this trip that you took with me down to the river. Appreciate it, Paul. Anytime. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for spending time with us today. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend and spread the word. And until the next episode, like my dad always says, good night, Irene.